The scripture reading this morning will be found on page 924 of the Pew Bibles, if you would like to read along. I will be reading from the King James Version. Scripture is Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It's an honor to have you. We hope that you can come back again and again. It encourages us for you to be here, and we hope that we can encourage you. I want to remind you that tonight we'll have our, our worship service with a theme on back to school, and we'll be challenging our, our youth to think about the opportunities that God will give them this year to serve Him, and even the teachers and administrators and all that work with the children, and what a blessing uh, that they'll have to have a positive impact in the lives of so many children. And we'll be praying about that a lot tonight also. One thing that we'd like to do is include in our prayers the name of the school, either that you work in or that your child attends. And so, if you will, if you have not already listed that Wednesday night, if you will, uh, list that on the back of your card this morning so that we can make sure and include that as a part of our prayers today. So if your attendance card, just list on the back of it the name of that school. Also, as we're thinking about uh, listing things, let me ask you to think about something else that really ties right into the theme of this morning's lesson. September 24th will be our homecoming. And of course, we want to invite everyone that, that has been a part of this congregation that's no longer a part of this congregation. Maybe they've grown up here and then moved away. Maybe they were here for a while and have been transferred or moved away. We want to be able to get in touch with them. But of course, uh, we need their addresses. And so if you will... Either on a sheet of paper, will you list out maybe kids of yours that have grown up here and they moved, or family members that you have, or friends that you have, uh, or individuals that, that you just know of. If you could help us, we need to create a list, and we need to create that list pretty quickly because we want to mail invitations to them. And so I'm, I'm really begging you, if you'll take the time this afternoon to look through your address book and, and get those names and bring us some names tonight, if you will, and over the next week or so. If you know them uh, and it's just one and you want to put it on the back of a tennis card, that's fine. Or if you have a list, just be sure and see uh, any of the office staff or myself or Lisa Brown or Tracy Shannon and get those to us. Uh, we would greatly, greatly appreciate that for the, the success of the day. Also, as we think about homecoming, uh, there's several things that's going to be exciting about homecoming. Uh, we'll talk about those at a later date, uh, except with the exception of one. 
That is, it's going to be exciting to think that hopefully, prayerfully, there'll be some that return to the Lord's church during this time period. Maybe not if on that exact day, but what we want to do for the next several weeks and perhaps even for the rest of this year, let's hope for the rest of our time on this earth. Let's focus heavily on those that have fallen away and let's see what we can do to encourage them to come home. Homecoming would be a wonderful opportunity. It'd be a great event to say to those individuals, we just wanted to contact you. We care about you. Where have you been? What could we do to encourage you? We'd love for you to come to our homecoming. We're celebrating a 115-year anniversary. Please come back. We want to help you encourage them also. So please create a list of individuals that you know of that are no longer faithful. We want to be able to pray about that. We want to be able to send them notes of encouragement between now and then. And we want to be able uh, to encourage them with calls and visits also. If you're creating that list, note, of course, the difference of that list and the others and get that to us. And also, if you want to hand those in to either Jay Keff or Alan Smith, please be sure and do so. Uh, What a tremendous, tremendous opportunity that is for us. If everyone that's in this room right now this morning were out in the foyer... And we ask you to come in and you answered this question solely and honestly on what's inside your heart. It, it didn't matter to you what everybody else were, was thinking about you. What would be your seating arrangement after this proposal? We're going to ask you to come into the auditorium this morning. And everyone that is so excited about Christianity... Everyone that is so happy about serving the Lord that you can't help but talk about it. It just kind of oozes out of your being. You love coming to worship. You love being around God's children. We want all of you guys to sit on the right side this morning. And then all that, you just do it. You'd feel guilty if you didn't do it. The truth is a big part and the biggest part of your religion is just attendance. You wouldn't dream of not attending. You wouldn't dream of saying that you weren't serious about attending. But the reality is you can't really remember being excited about Christianity. It would never come up in your workplace or in your life day to day. You guys sat on the left side. Where would you be seated this morning? Luke, the 15th chapter, is always listed among one of the greatest chapters ever written when scholars list the greatest chapters of the Bible. As a matter of fact, poets and authors have even declared, Charles Dickens, for example, that Luke, the 15th chapter, is the greatest story ever written. There's something powerful about Luke 15 that goes far beyond just a story. The truth is, it's three stories under one parable. And it's in this story that we see something about God. And if we look closely, we'll see something about ourselves. And finally, we see a whole lot about joy and happiness. You see, I suggest to you this morning that everyone that would be sitting on the right side in that illustration to say, I'm really excited about Christianity, you would find a common factor that is very real in their life. And it would be their love for souls. It would be their involvement in the lives of other people trying to help them grow stronger also. 
You see, when you find individuals that aren't really very excited about Christianity, what is there to get excited about when it's not real, when it's not active, when it's not reaching out to benefit others? You see, then it's only become selfish. Oh, it's just what I do. It's where I go on Sunday. And it was never designed to be that and that alone. Let's look, if you will, as we see the 15th chapter. I'd like for you to notice in your Bible, the setting of this great 15th chapter really begins in the 14th chapter. As we begin in the 14th chapter in verse 1, we see that this is the beginning of a Sabbath day. And this is one continuous story throughout the 14th chapter, the 15th chapter, the 16th chapter, and the 17th chapter, and the 10th verse. In other words, all of this just ties together. And so if you and I are greatly, are are going to really appreciate the fullness of Luke 15, we have to drop back and see how the 14th chapter ended. And it really brings to light then the first three verses of this particular story. You see, it is in verse 25 and following of Luke 14 that Jesus says, as he does so often, you know, Jesus so oftentimes was was not very politically correct. He, he wasn't always just easygoing and trying to smooth things over. And instead of stating things in a positive sense here, I guess to really make sure that everyone knew how serious he was, he states in a negative sense three times to these individuals, to this crowd, you cannot be my disciples if you do these things. And notice as we read, and I hope you have your Bible open because this will not be uh, what we're about to read on the slides there. We're in Luke the 14th chapter. Notice what he says in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. And then he states it another time. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, He cannot be my disciples. And then we drop down to verse 33 after he's talked about the tower and counting the cost and meeting an army that has double the amount of soldiers as your own. And then he says in 33, so likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see, he's saying if if we can't love God more than we love anyone, including ourselves, you cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to take the struggles that you have in life and pick them up and follow the Lord, instead of concentrating on your struggles, concentrate on the Lord and He'll walk through those things with you. He'll give you the strength for those things. If you're not willing to bear that cross, you cannot be my disciple. And then finally, he says, it boils down to this. If you can't put me preeminent in everything, forsake all, he says, you can't be my disciple. Who is going to step up to that charge? Well, I believe if a preacher preached like that, people would just turn and walk away. No. Of all things, notice what happens now. He closes this chapter. And keep in mind, it's man that put in the chapter breaks. But the close of this chapter, we have one sentence at the end of this verse. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So who hears this? Notice the first verse, chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. Now paint this picture in your mind. He's preached that powerful sermon, giving them an awesome teaching. But you're going to have to deny it all. You're going to have to put me above everybody, above everything, or you cannot be my disciples. Now who has ears to hear this kind of teaching? The uh, sinners and the, the tax collectors. 
They step forward. I want to hear that kind of teaching. What do you have to say, Lord? Now, could we say it's ironic that they're the ones that step forward? Or should we say that it's natural they're the ones that step forward? Do we really believe that if we went out and we talked to our neighbors and our our co-workers and, and friends that we have that are out in the world, do we believe that they would respond? Friends, some of them would. And it shouldn't shock us that they say, I want to hear more about this Jesus. You know, sometimes we dance so far around the topic of Christianity and even inviting people to worship that they never understand that we're trying to talk with them about Christianity. It never gets through to them that they have been invited because we've danced around the topic so far. Am I willing to do what Jesus did? Am I willing to talk straight with people? I'd like to talk with you about something that's important. Something that changed your life. You're going to have to... Make sacrifices, all of us do. You want to know about a Jesus like that? No, I don't think it was ironic at all that they were the ones that stepped forward. I believe that that's the natural result. We want to be a part of something greater than ourselves. Every heart has a hole in it, the shape of God. Most people at some time in their life are going to be looking for God. And if you and I can have open eyes of opportunity to help them at that time that they're looking for God, I believe they'll step forward and say, yes. I'd like to hear more of this. Now, surely everyone that was religious at this gathering that heard these individuals wanting to hear more about Jesus would be excited. No, let's go and let's see a second group that were gathered this day. We're in the 15th chapter still. Now look at verse 2. We've just read what the sinners and the tax collectors did. They stepped forward to hear him. In verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners... And eats with them. Ah. Are you picturing that? Some are stepping forward. And there's others over here. They're the religious ones of the day. And they're kicked back here watching. I can't believe that. They're not even dressed appropriately. Do you know what kind of life they live? They don't belong with us. Do you realize what that's going to make us look like as religious people? If if they start following the Lord. I tell you what. I won't be a part of it. I'm not going to have anything to do with a group like that if they start being religious. Can you imagine all the complaining that was going on? And now read verse 3 with this setting in mind. So he spoke this parable to them. Friends, if you and I could see the nonverbal communication that day, I say we would be astounded. If we could just sit back on a hillside and watch the events of this day, Jesus has preached a powerful sermon about, about being his disciple. And you can imagine the, fries, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're over here to the side, and, and they don't like Jesus. They're jealous of him, they're envious of him. He gets on their nerves, and you can imagine them listening to that sermon. That's ridiculous. And then you can imagine these sinners. You can imagine the tax collectors. They are literally drawing near to Jesus. And then you imagine in their presence, Jesus turning to the ones that are not near and saying, I have a parable I want to teach you guys. But everybody is going to get to listen to it. Can you imagine the eyes rolling? Can you imagine the anger of the Pharisees? Can you imagine 
that it is in this setting of conflict and hatred that we have one of the most beautiful parables ever taught. I have to admit to you, I thought I appreciated this parable until I studied more thoroughly the setting. Now that I understand a part of the setting, I appreciate it so much more now. Now, as we begin looking more into this one first story, the idea of the shepherd, I want to remind you, because I want you to carry this through this lesson this morning. A second thing that I'll just mention to you that's not a main point, it could be the whole lesson. I just didn't realize the emphasis that God placed upon joy here. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles open, this is going to confuse the guys with the screen because I'm off my text here, but look down in verse 32. 32, notice how he closes all of this. Notice how he closes the whole chapter here. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. That is his summary. It was right that we should be merry and that we should be glad, that we should be rejoicing. It was right. What is he saying? He's got these people, they're set off the side, they're stiff-arming the sinners. They can't stand the fact that the sinners are wanting to learn more about religion. And it's in this setting that the sinners are coming close and Jesus says, I need to spend some time with you. I know that you guys have come close to here, but I'm going to have to give you a time out for just a minute. We have something real important here. What was it? In part, we have people that are miserable. You know our illustration at the beginning? Which side are you going to set on? Listen, I am always miserable when I try to follow Christ and I don't care about souls because the two clash so hard. That's when Jesus says, time out. You've got it all wrong. And so this morning, if I can honestly say, I haven't invited anybody in the last six months. I hadn't really thought about it. Oh yeah, I know some brothers and sisters in Christ that have fallen away, but I really haven't dreamt of calling them. I just figured somebody else would do that. Well, I know so-and-so was offended, but they'll just have to get over it. I'm not a shepherd. And keep in mind, in this passage, we're about to read about a shepherd of souls. And he's not talking about the great shepherd Jesus here. He's not talking about elders here. He's teaching a group of individuals, the Pharisees, and he's saying, this is what you ought to be like. And every time, every time he tells a story whether it's about the lost sheep or the lost coin or the lost boy, every time he brings it back and says, if you would do it, you'd have great joy. And then finally, when the lost boy comes home, he throws the Pharisees at the end of the story. You remember? The lost boy comes home. The elder brother hears the music and the celebration, ah, he's suspicious. He doesn't barge into the house. He waits outside and he catches a servant. He says, what is all this? Servant tells him, your brother is safe and sound. Oh, it should be a a day of great rejoicing. No, instead he sulks and he waits outside, just like the Pharisees are doing over here, set off to the side. And the father comes out and the father tells him, you ought to be happy. And he says, oh no. 
And he starts this righteous than thou attitude. I'm the son that stayed home. I'm the son that has taken care of your possession. I'm the son that you ought to be honoring today and you've never given me any kind of party like this. And it is in this setting that the Lord has placed these Pharisees in this story and then that verse that we just read. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. You hear what he's saying here? He's saying to these Pharisees, you at this moment should be thrilled that souls are wanting to come and hear more. You just can't even be happy in Christianity as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. This morning, as we're about to go into this lesson and make some quick points, I want to beg you. I want to beg you to be happy. Happiness is not a result of searching for happiness. It is a result of striving to be holy. And one of the things that we have to be, if we're going to be God's child the way He designed us, is we're going to have to care for souls. And so we've got this group that's set off to the side here that doesn't care for souls. They're the self-righteous. In other words, in our day and time, it would be the group that says, I go, I attend church three times a week. I'm a generous giver. That church can't keep its doors open if it wasn't for me. Hey, I'm everything that everybody ought to be. You invited anybody lately? No. But I'm a faithful member. Have you tried to restore anybody? No. No, we've got a lot of other people up there that do that. Do you ever put in a good word for the Lord during the day? No, but now I do study my Bible when I'm at home alone some. Friends, where are we in this story? We want to be happy? Love souls. Love souls. And we will find, according to our Lord in this great story, a lot of rejoicing. What are we going to do? He tells three stories. The first one this morning, and and we'll carry some of these studies over the next few weeks leading up to homecoming. The first one, though, he says, I want to tell you about a shepherd. Now, the idea of shepherding is a beautiful story. We read about it beginning in verse 4 there. The man had a hundred sheep, but yet when he gets to a location, he counts, he has 99 and one is missing. Now, when we think about shepherding, I mentioned to you even in recent weeks, the fact that shepherds, the beauty of the, of the concept of shepherding, the model of shepherding. Why do we read about sheep and shepherding over a hundred times in the Bible? Because it is an illustration that helps us best see what God wants us to be. He wants us to be individuals that are available for others. He wants us to be individuals that are committed to others. He wants us to be individuals that deal in spiritual integrity. Friends, am I really there when someone needs spiritual encouragement? Am I really committed to saying I will be there when someone needs that encouragement? I cannot say that I deal in spiritual integrity with you if the truth is you could fall away and I do nothing. That's not spiritual integrity. 
And so when we think about all of the examples in the scriptures of, of shepherds, we could go to many passages. I'll mention a few if you want to jot them down for your studies this week. You know, when we see like the extreme example of the perfect shepherd in Psalms 23, think about that shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? He's always available. He's always committed. He always deals with us in a trustworthy fashion. He gives us our food. He gives us our water. He gives us the place to rest. He walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death. He carries that rod and that staff and he protects us against enemies and we want to dwell with him in the house of the Lord forever. Think about Jesus saying in John 10, I'm not like a hireling. When, when danger comes to the flock, the hireling runs. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'd lay down my life for the flock, and that he did. But think about the other extreme example in Ezekiel, the 34th chapter. And if you've not read that lately, I want to challenge you. Write that down and read that. And ask yourself, does that describe me? In Ezekiel 34, I'd like to read to you one verse. And this is what bad, cha- this is what bad shepherds do. Now this is all throughout this chapter. But notice in verse 4. We're in the 34th chapter in verse 4. He says, the weak you have not strengthened. What's a bad shepherd? The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. What's the teaching here? He's talking to shepherds over Israel, and he's saying to them, what a shame. You had individuals that were so weak and you're supposed to be the shepherd. You're supposed to be available. You're supposed to be committed. You're supposed to be trustworthy. You didn't even help them up. You had those that were sick, spiritually sick, and you didn't even nurture them. You had those that were broken. They had broken hearts, broken relationships, broken financially. And you didn't even go in and try to help them mend their breaks. You had those that someone had driven away the sheep. And you didn't even go and say, we don't want you to be driven away. That was a mistake. That was wrong. That was sin. That shouldn't have happened. We want you to come back. And then you have those that are just simply lost. They're eating a piece of grass here and here and here and here. And next thing you know, they're no longer with the flock. Who's going to go and say, let me help point you back? Friends, by biblical definition, when we don't go and when we don't serve and when we don't help strengthen, we're wicked shepherds. And so in this context, in Luke 15, what does he tell us? He's telling us in verse 4, I want you to see the value of each individual. Ninety and nine are present. It's just one percent that's missing. The truth is, it's just one that's missing. Any of you that have been around agriculture, do you go hunting for one horse, one cow, one calf, one goat, one pig? Do you go for one? Absolutely. I can't imagine a farmer that says, well, yeah, I go out and count them occasionally, and if one's missing, I don't do anything. Can you imagine that? It doesn't happen. What is he saying here? He is saying to these people that do this, that are very aware of this, you mean you would do for an animal what you won't do for a soul? You see, that was the same teaching when we go back to how he began this day. In the 14th chapter, look back at verse 1. He begins by healing a man on the Sabbath. And of course, this fired up the Pharisees again. And so you remember what Jesus says to them in verse 5? 
He answered them saying, this is 14th chapter and verse 5, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, okay, you're going to rebuke me for helping a man physically on the Sabbath day, but your law allows you to go and help a donkey and an ox on the Sabbath day. You know that that same law allows you to help a man physically on the Sabbath day. The reason you're having problems with this, you probably love the donkey and the ox more than you love the soul. Keep in mind the setting here. The Pharisees have just watched the sinners come closer to Jesus and they're angry about this. They would love their donkey and their ox more than they would love the souls that are coming to Jesus. Could that be said of you and I? Many of you have pets. What if your little house dog you went back after church this morning, walked through the house, said, Honey, uh, didn't we have a house dog for like the past 10 years? Yeah, yeah. It's not here. That's strange. Everything we've done for that dog, all the vet bills, all the tender loving care, I'm sure he'll come back. Okay, I won't give a second thought. A few weeks later. You know, I almost forgot. We had a house dog, didn't we? Did we? Hmm, that's strange. I tell you what, if I run into that house dog while it's out running around the neighborhood, I'll see if it'd like to come back home. Let's start right here and work our way around. How many of us would do more to bring our pet back home that has no soul than we'd do to bring a brother and sister back home that will spend an eternity somewhere. How many thousands of times have we seen posters flyers. How many times have you seen someone go up and down your street calling out the name of an animal? How many times have you gone to neighbor's house and said, have you seen? How many times have you seen or offered rewards? Because I just want that little one back. Friends, that is exactly what Jesus is teaching right here. You don't want a man healed physically, but you want your animal healed? You don't want these people brought to the Lord. You don't want them to be saved. You just want to protect your little religious reputation over here. The Lord says, I need to teach you something. A shepherd loves his animal more than you people love souls. Friends, that hurts to think that I could get so wrapped up in something that I would care more or an animal than a soul. What did he do? Since he valued it, he began an intense search. And that intense search meant sacrifice, 
Notice this. He left the ninety and nine in the wilderness. Matthew, the 18th chapter, he tells a very similar parable, the ninety and nine and one. And he says he goes into the mountain to retrieve it. What do we learn from that? We're always going to have to be able to leave the wilderness to go. And in the wilderness, it's a lot more comfortable. In the wilderness, everybody's there and they're where they ought to be. In the wilderness, that's where you enjoy the potlucks. If I went up in the mountain, I might miss something. Well, tonight's when my show's coming on and it's down in the wilderness. Tonight is, is when we're going to get together and scrapbook. It's down in the wilderness. Today is in the wilderness. We're going golfing. Today, we're, we're getting together and having some fun, but it's down in the wilderness. Listen, good, fun things don't happen in the mountain where the one is lost. It takes sacrifice to say, okay, I love that soul enough, I'll give up part of my week. I wonder how many of us, honestly, will not fill out a list to turn in names of people that have fallen away because it takes some time. I just don't want to give thought, thought to that. I'd rather... What? I'd rather be in the wilderness. I'd rather just do my little daily things. Life's fun in the wilderness. It takes sacrifice to leave the wilderness and to say, I love you enough that not only am I going to go up to the mountain and leave the wilderness, I'll stay up in the mountain until I find you. Do you see that in the verse there? He hunts for him until he finds him. And when he finds him, lays him on his shoulders. We're seeing action. We're seeing persistence. We're seeing sacrifice. We're seeing one that truly loves. And what happens? At the end of this, not only do we see in 5 and 6, when he lays in on his shoulders, great joy, rejoicing in verse 5 and verse 6, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And notice where this joy reaches. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who, in, who need no repentance. Where does the rejoicing come in? When we value someone so much that we're going to leave the wilderness and we're going to hunt for them until we find them. When we value someone so, someone so much that we're going to make such sacrifices when we find them. It's going to be like that time that you lost your child in a very crowded area, maybe a theme park or something. And for that split second or for maybe what seemed like an eternity, your, your heart was just thumping so hard and your search was so intense. You wouldn't have dreamed of saying, oh, I've never ridden that ride before. That, you're all over trying to find. It's focused. And what are you going to do when you grab that child up in your arms? Oh, what joy. What joy. And the Lord says, you know that joy you're feeling when you swoop that child up? When you find that that lamb that's gone astray? He says, I want you to know that same joy is being felt in heaven. Friends, this morning, I'm begging all of us. I've got to do so much better. We've got to love the ones enough that have left to do something. Flip through past directories. Go back in your memory of those that used to set about you. There's a lot of work to be done, but it's not like bad work. It's good work. In the sense that we love them so much, we wouldn't dream of not doing it. 
If you're not a child of God, look at the Father that loves you so much. He wants you to be a part of His flock. He would look all over the mountains for you. He would send others to search for you. He wants you to be at home with Him. If you've never been baptized into Christ, won't you do so this morning? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and maybe you've lost the way. I want to urge you to realize this isn't some fancy preacher spin. You go back and look in Luke 15, when we get our focus right, Christianity becomes a joy. That's what makes it a great, enjoyable life. Let's make sure that we all leave here this morning focused, enjoying the fact that we're right with God, we love Him, we want to serve Him, and we want to help others enjoy that same thing.